Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. I'm here today with Rob Henneke, the General Counsel and Director of the Center for the American Future at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Welcome back, Rob, to the show. Always good to have you on. Thank you. Thanks All for right. having me back. Um, today we're doing a policy update on the City of Austin's paid sick leave ordinance. Um, as some of our viewers are probably aware that the uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, TPPF, has uh, filed a lawsuit against the city on behalf of several major business organizations, uh, statewide organizations, Texas Association of Business, um, the Texas was its National Federation of Independent Businesses, Correct. Texas Chapter, and um, a few others. But maybe we can, can you give us just a, an overview of the lawsuit, what, you know, what brought it about, I mean, the ordinance passing, but what was the core arguments for your challenge, the challenge of this ordinance, and then where we are uh, currently in the process. Right. Well, thanks. And I'm glad to talk about this topic. Very important for the economy here in Austin. I mean, at a high level, what brought us here to this point was the way that the concerns from the Austin business community were uh, thoroughly rejected, you know, when the city council was uh, proposing and passing this ordinance. I mean, it's extraordinary that you had an ordinance like this that was adopted by the city council with less than 30 days worth of consideration discussion. A uh, big thing was that when the Austin Chamber uh, Chamber of Commerce and these business groups came to the city after it was first proposed in, you know, the first draft was published in January, you know, their, their point was, we need more time. We need to know, you know, Austin-specific data about, you know, is this needed? You know, what is it, you know, what's needed? You know, what should be done? There needs to be a study. There needs to be some evaluation. Let's, let's do our homework on this thing. And then less than 30 days later, the Austin City Council passed a final version that nobody had actually seen until after it was adopted. It's really kind of a slap in the face, but it left the business community here in Austin with no other choice but to go to court to defend their constitutional rights and to defend the autonomy of, of businesses in this area. Mm -hmm. So. With the litigation center that I run, we represent the plaintiffs in this suit uh, that you mentioned, and it's not just the the, the associations. We also uh, represent uh, a handful of individual businesses that are part of our coalition, in addition to all the members of Texas Association of Business and NFIB. But uh, there's five main claims that are in this, and the first one. Uh, is that the city of Austin ordinance is actually preempted by Texas state law. Uh, cities, I know, have broad regulatory making power, but where a city cannot regulate is an area that's already been addressed by state law. Mm -hmm. And the legislature adopted what's called the Texas Minimum Wage Act. And the Texas Minimum Wage Act uh, does a number of things, but one, uh, it requires that employers basically only have to pay, pay employees for hours worked. And if you're out on leave, you're not working. Uh, and the other thing is that it also places a ceiling on what the maximum minimum wage is in Texas that can be required by law. And it's, it ties that to the federal minimum wage. But if you think about it simply in terms of what the minimum wage, the city ordinance does, is that when you require employers to pay employees for hours when that employee is out, when they're not working, then 
the average amount that you're paying that employee exceeds the minimum wage when you combine them together because the minimum wage is hours, you know, dollars per hour. Yeah. So that's a big argument there. If, if the state law already controls, then the city doesn't have the power to regulate. But, you know, in addition, there's some important constitutional considerations for uh, the court to consider. Uh, one is just overall the power of government to regulate. And we bring what's called a due course of law claim, which challenges the legality of the ordinance because at a high level, government, whether it's the state, whether it's a city, whether it's you know, any other kind of governmental entity is not allowed to regulate you or your business without there being a legitimate government interest. And in this situation, especially because there was no Austin study, there was no you know, specific data based on this issue here at the local level, uh, we say, look, Austin, the city of Austin did not have a reason to do this. Uh, AG, a recent uh, survey that was done by the Austin Business Journal, for example, showed that of the responding businesses, 73% said that they already give some type of paid leave policy to their employees. Three-fourths of businesses say that they already do this in some form or fashion. And so what's the, what's the problem that the city is, is trying to solve? You know, to answer that, I think it comes in if you look at some other things that the ordinance does. And this is where maybe you see the real intent of this. One of the things that's not being discussed so much about the ordinance is that it exempts unionized businesses. Mm -hmm. In the ordinance, it means that if, if a business has unionized, the city makes it exempt from this ordinance. So where theoretically a unionized business could not offer any paid leave, and that would be okay with the city of Austin. Just a quick note, Rob. I know um, government entities are also exempted from this as well. Right. The uh, you know the city of Austin can't sovereign immunity prohibits the city from regulating another governmental entity. Mm -hmm. So whether they wanted to or not, the city of Austin cannot impose this on the school district or the county or even state agencies, uh, you know, really what they've done is impose this on just privately owned businesses. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the public just on the, the counter, the, uh, I guess it would be the, the opposing view of why this ordinance was necessary, um, which I'm sure you you read and know, just there was um, a coalition of businesses, um, some large and small in Austin that were, and then actives as well, that were framing this as a public safety uh, concern in the sense of, you know, you have a sick employee, you know, a lot of, uh, especially in the service industry, who, you know, they come to work because they have no choice. This is how it was framed, right? They have no choice. So they come, you know, they, they come to, you know, a restaurant wherever to work, they're sick, they can't have time off, and then that has a kind of have a, has a rolling implication on the people they're serving who might get sick, if it's like flu season or something like that. And I know that right now, you know, the city of San Antonio and Dallas um, similar groups have put forth um, already, you know, a large number of petitions to get these up, get similar ordinances. I think broadly on the November, November ballot for San Antonio, I'm sorry, San Antonio and Dallas, and just on that stuff on the public safety argument. What would you say to that, right? Because I think I think that in the general narrative, right, of how this played out, you know, and I, my firm had no interest in you know in this issue, but just looking at it objectively, it seemed like that argument 
it became an argument for you know for quote unquote the people, right? And then bit you know big big bad business if you will quote unquote from from the outside looking in. Yeah, no, I get what and, you're saying. And, and, so. Was so? Do you think a lot of you know this you know and nothing especially this issue issues like this are that black and white there are, you know there are nuances upon nuances but if you're the average person reading about the bill or reading about the ordinance rather and you see it you know it looked like most things right it looks well-meaning on the surface and you dig deeper and it may not be so well-meaning um depending on, especially if you're a business owner um what would you how would you counter that because that seemed to be the argument that carried the day to the public was it was a public a public health public safety issue well i would say based on what data I mean, and this goes back to, you know, the business community prior to the adoption of this ordinance went to the city account, city council and said, we want you to study this issue. We want y'all to do some research into the actual data in Austin and to see really if this is a needed issue. There's no data on Austin. All of this stuff about the, the sick worker with flu stumbling into the job to, to you know, to, to work. Uh, it's just based on made-up stories that the other side is using to advance their argument. Uh, when again, you know, going back to the Austin Business Journal, the testimony that's been out there is that most businesses already provide some kind of leave policy for their employees, and that makes sense. I mean, as you know, the city of Austin economy is white hot right now. It is tough to get employees, and so in order to be competitive as an employer, in order to keep and retain good qualified employees, businesses are already innovating by adopting various types of policies that, that they need in order to keep the people working for them to keep their businesses running. Now, it may not be in the one-size-fit-all mandate, and it certainly is not, but you know, the information that's been out there, let's say, for example, in the food, uh, the food industry, uh, you've had a number of businesses. You've had uh, the County Line. You've had Wally's Burger Express. Uh, you've had uh, Hoover's. You know, Hoover's. Uh, you know, they talk about how they, what happens when someone gets sick, and then, you know, they let them pick up another shift, or they let them make up that time another time, or, you know, even if it's going to be overtime, uh, or, or other ways that they economize accommodate their employees when when things happen you know in a compassionate way that also understands the realities of of running a business you know it's interesting when you talk about this like public health type thing nothing in the ordinance prevents a sick employee from going to work mm. i mean if you're sick and you come to the job it's not like the employer can say get out of here you're sick you have to go home and in fact, when there's been studies of this issue in other jurisdictions that have done it, you've actually seen an uptick of people showing up to work sick uh, because they're banking their time instead of just not going to work. So if there's a problem, uh, which we don't know because there hadn't been any data or research in Austin, I would say it's already being addressed by the employer's doing the right thing, doing the right thing for their employees and doing the right thing to have good policies to make their business a place where people want to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're doing so in a, a way that, that adapts and adjusts based on the specific realities. You know, I also think that this, and just to take a little different direction, I think this kind of policy is anti-worker. 
I, to oh, me, so. you know, it takes away the autonomy of the employee. I mean, you know, you're young, you're healthy, you know, you're the type of demographic that probably doesn't get sick all that often. And you're also a small business person and an entrepreneur. But think about in your position, if you were to go out into the workforce and look for a job, uh, would you want more pay or more leave time? I mean, let's say using some simple numbers here, but uh, you went to apply for a job uh, and, uh, you know, would you rather have $12 an hour, but maybe less leave time? Or would you rather have $10 an hour and more leave time? Mm -hmm. I don't know what you choose. It doesn't matter to me. I think that should be something that you should be free to negotiate. And I think there's a number of young workers out there that would say, hey, I don't get sick that often. I want to make more money and then I can make healthy lifestyle choices. And, you know, if I happen to get sick, that's fine. Uh, you know, I may miss a couple of days, but in the long term, I want to earn more money so I can provide for myself better and so forth. Or maybe I want to negotiate for flex time or to work from home or, you know, other conditions that I can negotiate. But if you have the government coming in and mandating that all employers have to do this, that that, you know, that cost that is incurred on the employer means that there's less flexibility for the employees to come in and negotiate a specific set of uh, employment terms that's really going to meet uh, their ideal situation. Okay. So where, you know, where I guess in the pipeline is this, is this suit? Has a, has a hearing date been set forward, a preliminary, preliminary hearing date? It is. Next Monday, uh, June 25th, okay. we have a hearing on our motion for temporary injunction where we are asking the court, uh, the Travis County District Judge, to come in and enter an injunction stopping the implementation of the ordinance. Mm -hmm. Under the ordinance that was passed, it doesn't go into, it's, it's final, it's been passed, but it doesn't begin to be enforced until October 1. Yes. So we're going to ask the court to stop that enforcement date and I think our arguments are pretty reasonable, you know, taking into consideration the business coalition that we represent to the judge is to say, look, this has never been done by any city in Texas. And there are some serious questions about whether it's legal for a city to do this. We're not asking the court to take away something from a person because right now it's not into effect. But what's reasonable for the court to do is to preserve the status quo. And preserving the status quo means the court should stop the ordinance before it goes into effect. Let's fully litigate these legal questions, get the courts, the appellate courts to resolve those issues, and then see where we are. Uh, but for this unprecedented you know, uh, reach of, of city power, I think it needs to be checked up and verified by the appellate courts before businesses are being forced to have to comply with it. Mm. Plus, hey, the legislature may step in and and uh, do something different on this, and I think that's also a reason for the courts to hit the pause button now and to see how everything plays out on this. Well, speaking of that, so so saying the ordinance uh, stands you know, through the hearings the suit, through the suit, it goes into effect August first. Sorry, goes into effect October first. Um, then the next month, uh, the pre-filing of bills will be starting for the next legislative, legislative session um, in January. Just, just based on the coalition of folks, um, associations that TPF represents, and you know the number of no elected officials um, in the Austin delegation, uh, Representative Workman being one, um, and then elsewhere in the state that are looking at this, um, do you expect 
and maybe even concurrently, even this as suits proceeding, that bills will be filed around this. Oh, I do. It's already been said. Uh, you know, the local state rep here, Paul Workman, has said that he intends to engage on this. Look, our position is that the city ordinance is already uh, preempted by the Texas Minimum Wage Act. Mm -hmm. Of course, the city of Austin and the proponents on the other side disagree. Uh, and I don't see it as, as inconsistent for the legislature to still come back and be explicit that cities can't do this. So I know that Representative Workman is looking at this. Uh, you know, for example, today, uh, Senator Donna Campbell in our lawsuit filed an amicus brief supporting our position saying that she thinks that the trial courts should stay this rule to give the legislature a chance to, to look at it. And when they do, I really hope that the legislature can take a look in a broader sense about the regulatory power of municipalities to regulate and impose these kind of requirements on businesses. You know, we're, the fight today is specific to paid sick leave, but there's also different types of policies that the proponents from the left have been advancing that would incur additional burdens on businesses. Mm -hmm. And I think the legislature, one, it's proper for it to do so, but maybe it's time to come in and have kind of a broader bill that says that for a city, you know, except for in specific cases of public health or public safety, just can't regulate businesses. Mm -hmm. Leave that role to the legislature. Let's make sure that we don't have this patchwork quilt of regulations where every city may or may not be different, you know, and especially in urban areas like ours where, you know, within a 20 minute drive of here, you could be in four or five different cities, depending on the which way you go. Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense for business if you've got to look at a GPS to figure out what rules you're under, depending on where you happen to be driving at that time. I mean, just given the diversity of issues uh, cities deal with, I'd be, I'd be curious to see the language of that. Um, I think, uh, you know, anything's possible during session. <laughs> uh, but I'd be curious, yeah, I'd just objectively be curious to see how that would go through. And then I, you can expect, I'm sure the major metro, you know, our major metros, um, I'm sure would have, in their delegations, I'm sure would have some things to say about that. But speaking of that, and the, I guess the broader implications of where um, progressive cities and, and, and the ordinances they put through can go, um, you know, one issue I know we were talking about last week just offline was the, C the Seattle head tax. And it was, um, this is background, it's the uh, City Council of Seattle about a month ago passed an ordinance that required large employers, um, it levied a fee on large employers at 275 per employee um, with those funds going to, to programs, uh, homeless and affordable, affordable housing programs um, under that plan to uh, just to alleviate the pressures that were going on in Seattle. And Seattle, I mean, it's definitely, I've been there, it's 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 a it's an analog to Austin, I think, in a lot of ways, in terms of the growth of the city, the, well, the enormous growth of the city, funded by Amazon, largely. Um, and they, But the issues they're dealing with in terms of affordability, you know, traffic, homelessness, for sure, up there. Um, but, um, you know, Amazon fought back, uh, fought, well, they pushed back on it, I think the business community up there did. and. You know, I know they, they had pushed for a, they got a petition going that would have placed this on the November ballot had it gone through, but the city, Seattle City Council repealed it last Tuesday. 
And you know, we were, we were talking about this before the show started, but just you're observing this and you know, it's, it loves you just talk about what Amazon, you know, just how that played out and what, what were your pains on that as it went through to where it, how it was disposed of. You know, it's interesting. Anecdotally, I was told, I uh, have verified this myself, but I was told that uh, in this downtown Seattle economy that when this per head tax was passed, you had 18 cranes working in the downtown Seattle area and uh, 16 of those were for Amazon projects. And that when Seattle threatened to do this, uh, Amazon immediately stopped construction on all of its projects. And that was a very clear warning shot to the Seattle city government of, you know, we're not messing around and we're more important to the Seattle economy then Seattle is important to our business if you push this too much further. And I think the reason for the 180 by the Seattle uh, City Council was because they went too far. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, Amazon was, was serious in, uh, you know, pulling out or pulling back in that. It would have hurt the, the Seattle economy a whole lot more than any benefit that was supposed to be realized by this tax. I think there's a lesson there. I mean, you can push too far and then it's the citizens that have to suffer the consequences of that action austin's gotten close i think austin got real close over the ride sharing fight and the year of kind of chaos after that ensued after uh, the major uh, national companies pulled out of this market Uh, you could see similar consequences here but i think the big takeaway is we don't want progressive cities to push the envelope to that point, Mm -hmm. to the point of businesses making the decision of whether they stop hiring or whether they move out of particular jurisdictions. Uh, Even if it's just a small mom and pop store down down the road, that shouldn't be the relationship between government and business. And anytime we get to that point to where businesses are making the decisions about their business not based on the overall market or the economy, but because of what they're afraid that government's going to do to them, that's, that's gotten out of control. Okay, very good. Um, just, uh, just in closing, are there any other issues that you're looking at that, that at least are issues that are bubbling um, in other, other markets, other cities that you see coming to Austin or looming, looming on the horizon in Austin that would be of interest to business owners and, you know, you know, and your members? Well, I think still saying at the local level, uh, we've got to give a lot of attention to local government pension debt. Mm-hmm. You know, the the balance sheets that, uh, especially the major cities like Houston, like Dallas, like San Antonio, like Austin are carrying, really raise the question as to if those are underwater and what that's going to mean down the road if there isn't proper attention paid to the fact that as cities continue to grow and continue to tax and continue to offer these lifetime pensions to retirees, that's going to have to get paid at some point. And if uh, cities aren't properly funding that or setting aside the, the right amount of money, which appears to be the case, I know, for example, at least in Dallas and Houston, when you've got you know, groups of retirees of that size, it can be catastrophic to our state economy. Uh, if pension systems like that become insolvent. 
Uh, so something to watch out there as, you know, cities continue to do bonds and accumulate more debt, increase taxes and get bigger is are they even covering the bills that they've got to pay now uh, before we really talk about even additional future debt and growth. Okay. Rob, thank you again for your time. No, my pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah, great to be with you again. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com backslash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play at The BG Podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great day.